Um, this morning we're continuing in our series in the book of 2 Timothy, uh, entitled Gospel Legacy. And you know, it's not very often you get to hear um, what's on someone's heart, but in 2 Timothy we get to hear what's on Paul's heart. As we've seen, this letter is filled with commands, exhortations, flowing from a heart of love for Timothy and for God's people. Paul knows there are wolves in sheep's clothing, ready to tear the people of Ephesus apart. Timothy is a shepherd there, and he's there to help protect the flock. In today's text, we'll meet two wolves that have been exposed and their impact they're having and what Timothy is to do about this. Um, Yes, the letter is written to Timothy, a pastor, a shepherd, but there are many implications and applications for us, all of us. We'll learn that uh, the things that should be true of followers of Christ must be true of pastors and elders. In a moment, we'll read our text for today. But if you don't have a Bible um, with you, we do have some friends who will make one available to you. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, it's yours as a gift. If you do own a Bible, um, it's for you on loan. One last thought before we read the word. I know the letter is written some 2,000 years ago. People's hearts don't change or haven't changed. There's still those who would lead people astray and still those who are led astray. Hopefully from uh, today's words from Paul, we'll learn to steer clear of both of those and stand firm in Jesus Christ. If you would please turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. If you're able to stand, if you would stand in honor of the Lord's word. 2 Timothy 2, chapter, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God, not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place. And they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is, at, is to abstain from wickedness. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things... He will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, 
and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. This is the word of God. You may be seated. An approved worker rightly handles and rightly lives the word of truth. As we investigate these verses, Paul has shared with Timothy and communicated to Timothy that right handling of the word of truth and right living, they're not mutually exclusive. To say it another way, embracing and obeying God's word, right doctrine, right teaching, leads to godly character. We know this because we live out of what fills our hearts. We live out of what fills our hearts. If we are immersed and embrace right teaching, Scripture says it this way, meditating on his word day and night, it is able to do something. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It can change, transform, and equip us to be all God would have us be and to do the things that are pleasing to him. This leads us right into our first point. First point will be quite long. The the last two out of three will be just a little bit shorter. Verses 14 to 19. Rightly handling the word of truth is essential to being an approved worker. Paul commands Timothy to continually remind those in Ephesus and especially those faithful men who who the words were entrusted to to not do something. He doesn't say, just say it once. He says, keep reminding them. Keep reminding them of what? The things that I have taught. You can go back to, to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, and make your way through. We'll just, I'll just highlight a few of those things. Don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, Timothy. Suffer hardship. As a soldier, don't get entangled in the affairs of everyday life to please the one who enlisted him. As an athlete, compete according to the rules. As a farmer, work hard as a farmer. Remember, Christ is risen. Also remember, yeah, I've been in prison, but the word of God has not been in prison. That should give us great comfort. And we could go on. Paul's saying, keep the main thing the main thing. These are the the fundamentals, the foundation. Never forget these. Build upon these. We also have to remember, let me, let me do it this way. If you have a Bible in your hand, raise that up. The people of Ephesus didn't have that. They had the letter that was written to Timothy. They didn't have the word of God in their hands. That's why he had to keep reminding them of those truths. Remind them over and over and over of the truths. And then he goes with the charge. Charge them in the presence of God not to do something. It's a strong warning. What are they not to do? To wrangle about words. It means don't get into word wars. Don't get into word wars. The word wars were against God's truth, against the word of God. Where were the Savos coming from in the war? From false teachers. They were against the word of truth. Have you ever been around someone who just loves to hear themselves talk? Loves to make their point to be heard? They love... To be the arbiter of right and wrong. They love to be confident, making confident assertions about something. To influence people in their direction. 
This is what these false teachers were doing. And it was away from the word of God. And Paul says, you know, to get in those word wars is useless. It's futile. It's vain. It's pointless. It doesn't help anyone. Does it, does it have an impact? Absolutely it has an impact. It says it leads to the ruin of the hearers. That term ruin is the term we get catastrophic from. It's destructive in people's lives. Because people are listening when you're arguing about these things. And it impacts them. So Timothy, continue to remind them of truth. Keep them focused on the truth. Tell them, charge them before God not to get into word wars. You know, this isn't the first time Timothy's heard this. And 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with sound teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness... He is conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and, a, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth. This type of teaching can have a, strat, a catastrophic impact. You know, I, love Tim, I love Paul. He doesn't, not only tells you what not to do, but he tells him what to do. So where is Timothy supposed to focus his attention? He says, focus it on the word of truth. He says, give maximum effort, where? To the word of truth. That's where he should spend his time. This is not a lazy, casual thing, but as a workman. Earlier, Paul told Timothy not to be ashamed of him or the gospel. Now he's telling him, don't be ashamed of his work. Timothy must rightly handle, accurately handle, literally cut the word straight. It's used of a road. It's used of tent making. It's used of a stonemason. It's used of plowing fields, making sure your furrows are straight. You know, I can remember helping lay blocks a number of years ago. And we had strings strung so that we made sure the wall was straight. We had levels to make sure... The, the walls were, were level and also plumb. Constantly making sure on every block we laid that it was right. Timothy, you've got to get this right. You've got to get this right. Have you ever had your work inspected by somebody that actually knows what they're looking for? An audit? Anybody ever have that happen? Yeah, that's a scary thing, isn't it? You, you're, you've done your best. You've checked and you've double-checked all your work. Still nervous. Well, Timothy had an inspector. God himself, the one who wrote the word, was inspecting his work to make sure he was getting it right. And so Tim, uh, Paul tells Timothy, work hard. Make sure you get it right. So you're not ashamed before God. You know, pastors and teachers are to equip the people of God for service. It says, so that the people of God are no longer children, tossed here and there, by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Just like the Ephesians, we need to grow up also. If we think we can mature as a believer without the word of God, we're deceiving ourselves. Let me say that again. If we think we can mature, grow up as a believer without God's word, without the word of truth, we're deceiving ourselves. The word of truth is essential to maturity. Not only 
is the word of God essential for life and godliness, but also for protection against false teaching? Howard Hendricks, a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, once said, God's word was not written to increase our knowledge, but to transform our lives. Move us to maturity. Move us into Christ's likeness. As a side point before we continue, we have a children's program whose name is derived from verse 15, Awana, which stands for approved workmen are not ashamed. If you have children, consider putting them in this ministry. It starts back up in the fall. If you love walking with kids in this area or just kids in general, I'm sure Awana or Grace Kids would love to hear from you. So Paul tells, us, tells Timothy what to do and then what not to do. He's back on a what not to do again. Avoid worldly and an empty chatter, for it leads to further ungodliness. This is not the first time Timothy's heard this either. In 1 Timothy 6, he says, avoid irreverent and empty speech and contradictions from what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some people have departed from the truth. Avoid it. Stay away from it, Timothy. Stay away. What is the worldly and empty chatter? It's profane talk. It has no value whatsoever. It's empty chatter. It's devoid of real content. It's mindless. When I was thinking through this, the first thing that came to mind, I probably need to let this go because it happened a long time ago. Um, It's like when I was a kid, I got this huge chocolate bunny for Easter. Has anybody ever had that? Okay, so you know where I'm going with this. I was so excited thinking how much chocolate I had. I was excited about that. After the first bite, I realized it was mostly air. It, was, it had enough chocolate to have a thin thickness of chocolate, enough just to hold the shape. It was empty. It was totally empty. That's what the, he's talking about here. Once again, I should probably let that go. Um, but that's the first thing that came to mind. And, and what happens? It leads to further ungodliness. There is already ungodliness present, but it continues them down this path. So much so that Paul says, and their talk will spread like gain green. Paul's choice of words to describe ungodliness is pretty powerful. Gain green. I'm not, I'm not a medical person. I did uh, look that up a little bit. It eats away at the flesh on the person from the inside. It must be dealt with decisively, even to the point of amputating something. If not, it can kill the person from the inside. Is a brutal disease, and that's the term Paul used. It is the term we get gangrene from. And just as gangrene can slowly, surely eat away at the body, so can false teaching. That's why he says, avoid it, stay away from it. Paul isn't afraid to name names. He calls a couple guys out. They've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They've deviated. They've missed the mark of God's word. Their names are Hymenaeus and Philetus. They've gone astray from the truth. Timothy probably knew these people. Hymenaeus was mentioned in 1 Timothy. It's sticking with Timothy. This is a tough place to minister in Ephesus. It says, among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan. Paul already tried to deal with these men so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. As I was thinking through this, 1 Timothy was, was written somewhere around 62 or 63 A.D., 2 Timothy was written somewhere around 67 A.D. So he's been dealing with these people for four plus years. They're sticking around. This is hard work that Timothy has to face. 
So how have they gone astray? How have these men missed the mark? They're saying the resurrection has already taken place. He's not talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's talking about the future bodily resurrection of the saints, of believers. They said, it's already taken place. That's just not true. You can look this up in 1 Timothy, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 or 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll read a little bit of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, those who have died, so that you will not grieve as, as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, those who have died in Jesus. And then later it says, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. They will bodily rise from the dead. These false teachers were having an impact. It was upsetting the faith of some. They were leading people astray with their fallacy. You know, false teachers haven't gone away, have they? This is 2,000 years ago. They're still here. Sometimes we say, well, yeah, that's just 2,000 years ago. We're here. That was then. But we need to take a step back, look at their situation, look around, feel what they're feeling, and take in what is happening. Paul tells us the weight of what was happening in 2 Corinthians 11. Paul himself describes all the brutal things he had to endure for the gospel. And then he says this in verse 28. He says, apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of the concern for all the churches. Interesting. Why the concern? I'm guessing high on that list was false teachers because they were leading brothers and sisters in Christ away from the truth. So both Paul and Timothy knew this intense pressure. In Ephesus, we have to remember these were real people who had real friends, who had real family members that may be led astray. Some of you can personally relate to this all too well to what was going on in Ephesus at this time. You too are or have experienced loved ones who have been led astray, and that is a very hard thing. You know, hurting people, wounded people need to be encouraged. They need hope. They need hope. Not a hope-so hope, but a sure, guaranteed hope. The hope that can only come from God himself, and Paul graciously does this very thing. In verse 19, he says, Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands... Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord should abstain from wickedness. Paul moves Timothy's eyes and the people's eyes from their situation up to the Lord, saying, don't despair, don't lose heart. Paul refocuses them on the one who's able and knows all things, where hope can be found. Make no mistake, Timothy. The Lord knows who are his. The church will continue in spite of these false teachers. I love the terms that uh, Paul has chosen, firm foundation, stands, seals, words of strength, security, ownership, and authenticity. I love those words. God is immovable. He does not change. The word of truth is not imprisoned and is active and alive. We can take great comfort from these truths. It's interesting, Paul is directly quoting from Numbers chapter 16. What happened there? Korah and his followers were opposing Moses and Aaron. It's interesting, some 1,500, 1,400 years later, the same thing is happening 
in Ephesus. And so Paul and so Moses says, the Lord will show who is his. God is not deceived. God knows he's omniscient. God is also sovereign. He is able to preserve those who are his, even in the face of false teaching. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is also a quote. Um, Everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Uh, Moses told the people to say, depart from the tents of the wicked men, so that they, so they did get back from their dwellings. What happened? The earth opened and closed. Those um, false teachers were gone. So we too must separate ourselves from wickedness. These Ephesian believers must separate themselves from the false teachers, as, as Paul had commanded you know, things, once again, haven't changed in our day. Today, we're inundated under constant attacks, mostly through our devices, right? We let those come in. We must stand firm on the truth of God's word. The ground today is moving so quickly underneath our feet. What is acceptable, what is prescribed, culturally speaking, it's always shifting. Will we stand on the truth of God's word? That's difficult at times, but we're called to stand. And it has to be focused on the, God and on the word of God. The word of truth is the means which we can withstand those assaults. We're not alone. The Lord God Almighty is with us during these things as well. Move on to our second point. And I love how this point, powerfully illust- this powerful illustration launches us into our final section, uh, verses 20 and 21. Rightly handling the word of truth is essential to being a clean vessel. It's interesting, verse 20 says, now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. In sermon prep this week, we're chatting, and I asked uh, Zach if I could use this illustration. And um, uh, you might have this as well. I know when our kids were little, we had the same thing. We had a bowl. And if somebody's tummy wasn't doing well, we would ask, do you need the buddy? And you understand why that's needed. Anybody else have that uh, in their household? See, yep, we have some things. So, um, well, it was the Hess household has that as well. So... You understand somebody's not feeling well, that happens. And so he'll also serve popcorn in that bowl as well. (laughs) Well, he cleanses it first, right? He cleanses it, makes it useful for something good, right? Now, I'm not sure what the moral, I'm guessing that illustration breaks down somewhere. I'm not sure what the moral of the story is there. If Pastor Zach gives you a bowl of popcorn, maybe ask him if he's cleansed the bowl. I don't know. (laughs) Well, let's, let's uh, continue on this. This is, a, this is an amazing, powerful um, truth that uh, Paul, Paul communicates here. Paul expands the illustration with the word anyone to any follower of Jesus. The path being to an honorable vessel is the same for all followers of Jesus. We're going to land the plane here for a minute. We're going to get out and walk around at some words. Uh, the two words I want you to focus on is sanctified and prepared. When you look at the grammar, what's interesting about these words, the, ki- the condition already exists and is relevant for the present. It already exists. It's not something we do. It's done to us. Sanctified. What is sanctified? 
It's separated from sin, dedicated or consecrated to God. The root word is holy. Can we do that ourselves? No, we can't. Somebody had to do that for us. If you're in Christ, you are sanctified. This happens when you trusted Christ. There's also the process of sanctification being transformed into the image of Christ. Holy in our conduct. That's the, the conduct that aligns with the direction God would have us go. So that's something that's done to us, has happened, has already existed, sanctified. Prepared is the same thing. It's something, it's a condition that already exists with relevance in the present. As one author in a commentary said, we are in a divine state of preparedness. That's interesting. How can this be? It's possible because the Holy Spirit indwells you and dwells us at the moment of salvation. That can allow us to be useful, profitable to the master, to God himself. Everything is there to be an honorable vessel, to be useful to the Lord. Now let's get to cleanse. He tells us that's something we as a vessel need to do. How do we cleanse? It means we get the term uh, catharsis from this. It's to thoroughly cleanse, to, to, to clean thoroughly, to purge. If your life is not pleasing to God, it's never too late to be cleansed. It's, once again, it's an intentional act by the vessel. It is the vessel itself who's choosing to move in this direction. The power of the gospel is in full display in these words, and the grace of God can be deeply felt just in this one verse. Jesus gave his life for us. He paid the price for us. He took our place on the cross. We now have peace with God. He set us apart from sin to himself to be used of him. He gave us his Holy Spirit who makes living the Christian life possible. Without the Holy Spirit, the Christian life is impossible. But he gave us the Holy Spirit. God has done everything for us. God has done everything for us. Some of you may feel that because of your past, you think you can't be useful to God. That's just not true. If you're in Christ, through the blood of Jesus Christ, once again, you've been sanctified, set apart for his use. You have this Holy Spirit within you. You can be useful. The question is, Will we cleanse ourselves? Are we willing to go in that direction? Brothers and sisters, once again, are we willing to be useful to the master? Are we willing to be useful to the master? That's our choice. He's already given us everything to allow that to be possible. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says it this way. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians 2.10 talks about we are created in, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Once again, prepared for every good work is what verse 21 says. And even 2 Timothy 3.16-17 says the word of God equips us for every good work. We still haven't answered the question, have we, of how we cleanse ourselves. Thankfully, Paul does that in the remaining, the final point um, in the remaining number of verses, verses 22 and 23. Rightly handling the word of truth is essential to being the Lord's servant. You know, Paul doesn't say, well, go figure it out. You're on your own. 
He doesn't say that. He says he lets Timothy know. There's three commands in, the, in these verses. Flee, pursue, and refuse. Verse 22. Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. Call upon the Lord is a phrase used as salvation. It's the equivalent of a saving faith in the Lord. Here's the key right here. From a pure, the term pure there has the same root word as cleanse. So he's going to tell us how do we cleanse? What do we do? Not everyone who calls on the Lord continues in faithful, to faithfully serve, obey and pursue the Lord, and thus would not be a useful, honorable vessel. So how can we cleanse? How do we have a pure heart? He first says flee. That's a command. It's the term we get fugitive from. We flee from those things. We'll see that in just a moment. We'll run away from. We seek safety from. What do we run away from? Youthful lusts. These are not lusts or desires for the youth only. They begin in the youth, but continue through our entire life. And it's not just talking about sexual sin. It's talking about a number of desires. We probably don't have time to go through all those because there are many. So he says, flee from youthful lusts. Where do I, and what do I do? He said, he commands to pursue. You know, you must replace what you're running from with something where you're going to go right back where you started, right? And so he says, run away swiftly from. Here's a goal in order to catch. What do you run to? Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So do we, are we going to make the decision to be useful to the Lord to run from these things towards what God would have us run to? That's our choice in these things. Righteousness, doing what is right, the condition acceptable to God. And we find these in where else? The word of truth, God's word. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping according to your word. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Uh, think progression there, deeper and deeper uh, embracing fallacy. And what is he to do? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. We pursue righteousness. We can find those things in God's word. Faith, probably better rendered faithfulness. We want to be faithful to the master, the one who has called us. Love, it's the term agape, a word of choice. I'm choosing to meet somebody else's needs, to care for them without any re looking for reciprocation of those things. Peace, harmony, not contentious. So we flee from those desires, those useful desires that continue through our life, and we pursue the, the things God would have us pursue. We find those in God's word. You know, we've all gone off the rails. We've all sinned. What do we do to begin with, to start this process of usefulness? 1 John 1, 9 tells us we're called to confess our sins. He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In a word, we need to humble ourselves and say, I was wrong. I'm going in the wrong direction. I'm pursuing this when I should flee that, and I need to go in this direction. That's what confession is. 
And you know what? In Hebrews 4.16, it tells us we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. God's not going to say, get away from me, so that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Will we humble ourselves and pursue the Lord and move away from those things that would have us go astray? That's how we cleanse ourselves. He's given us everything else we need to do that. Well, Paul continues in the don't do, do, don't do, do, and he's on his third one now, verse 23, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculation, knowing that they produce quarrels. Refuse, it's once again, it's a void, it's a command. Foolish is the term we get moron from, stupid. Ignorant speculation, stupid arguments, unlearned, uninstructed, uninstructed people. Have you ever been in a discussion where somebody's making confident statements, and then you realize they don't even know what they're talking about? You ever been in a discussion like that? He's saying, stay away from that. It just produces quarrels. Now, we know this is a letter written to a pastor, Timothy, in Ephesus. And this is the third time Paul gives similar instructions. Aren't pastors supposed to refute false doctrine? That's what these, these false teachers are doing. That's what Paul wrote to Titus as a requirement for being an elder. Just by way of review, verse 14, don't get into war of words. Why? It can ruin the hearers. Avoid worldly, verse 16, avoid worldly and empty chatter. Why? It leads to further ungodliness. Verse 23, refuse foolish, stupid arguments. Why? It just leads to quarrels and fighting. Here's the great thing. In verses 24 to 26, Paul finally says, okay, pastor, okay, elder, and all of us, how do we move in a situation where somebody's off the rails, if I can say it that way? Finally, Paul gets into how to confront those who have gone astray from truth. Paul doesn't prescribe techniques. He doesn't prescribe techniques, but straight to harditude, to the character of the Lord's servant to the character of the Lord's servant. Remember, these things should be true of all followers of Christ, but must be true of every pastor because we know this letter is written to pastors. So let's hop into the, our final point, 24, 25, and 26, our final verses. The Lord's bond servant, the Lord's servant, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong. Bond servant is a servant is someone given to the will of the master. The master has charge over him. He's in the master's care. He's in the master's service. Not to be quarrelsome, not to fight. Have a gentle manner about you. Be kind to all. Easily approachable. Able to teach. Highly skilled in teaching. Patient when wronged. Not if it's not when wronged. I'm sorry. It's not if wronged, but when wronged. It's going to happen. You don't take it personal. You don't get offended. Sometimes you want to get back, don't you? I think that's why I put that in there. Patient when wronged. And then verse 25. With gentleness correcting those in opposition. With gentleness correcting those in opposition. Gentleness reflects a spirit of humility. It's not a term of weakness. It was used of a colt being broken. There is power, but it's under control. It's now controlled. Jesus used this term of himself 
in Matthew 11. The quality of our response matters. Have you ever been in a conversation or that might be escalating to an argument where you're humble, you're gentle, and it just brings the walls down? It's hard to argue with somebody that's gentle in a conversation because they're not going back at them. Paul tells us that this should be true as you're confronting someone who is in opposition. And then correcting is correcting. You're saying, no, you're, down, you're going down the wrong path. You're going down the wrong path. We need a discerning mind when we move into this. And I love Paul's heart here as he continues, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. Paul's heart, he realizes that I'm more like them than unlike them. They need Jesus just as much as I do. And if it wasn't for the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of God, I could be in their same position. So I love Paul's heart. He reminds us once again of God's power, his sovereignty, what he's able to do. He can grant repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. Obviously repentance from false doctrine, but most likely salvation. Knowledge of truth is the gospel. This is a phrase used of salvation. Then finally, we must never forget that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Yes, that person who may be coming at you is hurting you, but there's something else going on here. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. And Paul tells us this, that they may come to their senses, that they may wake up. They may become sober and escape the snare of the devil. That term snare, I don't know if there's any hunters in here that lay out traps, but you bait those traps. You attract the animal. You attract whatever you're trying to capture. And you know what? It looks great. It may smell great, but it's not what it seems to be. If there's any fishermen, they do the same thing, right? You put a, a worm on the hook, and there's, there is a hook in that for the fish. They get trapped and snared. It's accomplished by craftiness and deceitful schemes. It's intentionally seeking to entrap you. Paul recognized this snare is from the evil one, the devil. And then having held you captive to do as well. It's interesting, very interesting. I know that uh, false teaching and teachers do much harm. They'll be held held responsible. But also remember, if you have somebody like that in your life, pray for them because they need Jesus just as much as you do. Maybe God will grant them repentance. An approved worker rightly handles and rightly lives the word of truth. You and I both know there's still people that are leading you astray um, in our present world. If you have questions, uh, please see a pastor and elder. I know that pastors and elders aren't, that are in the room aren't expecting this, but if you're a pastor and elder, would you please stand? I know that I've seen a number of them. Go ahead and stand. You can do that. Please pray for these men. Please pray for these men. These are the men that God has placed at Grace Polaris to care for you. You can have a seat. These men and I don't glow in the dark. We still sin. We need Jesus just as much as you need Jesus. But if you would pray for us, that would be great. And um, because the battle still is on. The battle's on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter to Timothy 
that so instructs us that the battle is on. And I know the battle is not against flesh and blood, but there are false teachers out there. Father, help us to stand firm on your truth, on your word. We know that's central. That is central and is essential to us following what you'd have us do. Father, help us to be people that are willing, open to be cleansed. Father, help us to humble ourselves, to pursue you, and not those things that lead us astray, so that we can be useful in your hands for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.